I'm going to read from Leviticus 16, verses 15 to 22. This is God's word. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then... He shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat shall carry on itself. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Thanks be to God for his word. Jennifer, thanks. Great prayers for your um, leading as well. Uh, it's good to have you with us. Often she's playing away from home on Sunday mornings, preaching in uh, lots of different churches, and uh, they really appreciate your ministry. So it's good to have you with us here, Jennifer, this morning. Um, <clears throat> I wonder if, you've, uh, if you play music or you play sport, do you ever feel just like at one with your, your instrument? Uh, or you feel at one with maybe your racket or your club if you play golf. Anyone have that experience? I used to play golf with my dad, and just occasionally you'd feel at one with the club, and uh, the ball would go exactly where you wanted it to go, and, uh, and then, then you felt just a minute later like you were arguing with the clubs. You weren't at one with them at all, <laughs> and you felt like throwing them away and never playing again. Uh, 
<coughs> Do you know, uh, it, it, husbands and wives sometimes can look like they're at one with each other. You know, they're joined at the hip. Uh, they go everywhere together. They're at one. But sometimes they don't look like that. Uh, people often experience great at oneness, but then very often we're not at one with each other. Maybe we're at war with each other. There's a problem in our world, and there's a lot of the time we're not at one. And we're not at one with God. Now, the people in this ancient world where we heard that reading from, they had a problem because God was in their midst. He was right there with them. He wanted to be with them. And yet they were not at one with him. There was a separation between them and God. Now, God had done amazing things for them. He'd take them out of slavery, part of the Red Sea, forming a new community for them. And yet, they were not at one with God. They realized that God was very different to them. Just a few chapters before this story in Leviticus, there's a very scary and sobering episode. <coughs> where, um, so Aaron's two sons die in God's presence. Aaron was the brother of Moses. You've heard of Moses. Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt. Okay. Um, his brother Aaron had two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and they went into God's presence. And we're told they offered unauthorized, they made an unauthorized offering before God. And they were burned alive in God's presence. The fire came from the presence of God. You play with fire, you get burnt. That's what happened. And there was this terrifying but also important reminder that you don't mess with the living God. We sang earlier, our God is a lion. If you see a lion, you don't go, here, kitty, kitty. <laughs> you treat it with some respect. You treat it with awe and reverence. Our God is a consuming fire. And they found that out in a very real way in the book of Leviticus. We're told that Aaron remained silent when this tragic, awful thing happened. And so off the back of that, God gives instructions to Moses that are very clear and very specific and says, you cannot come into my presence any old how. You can't just waltz in, you have to come into my presence in a way that's going to keep you safe, in a way that is going to be appropriate. Because we are not at one. You see, I'm with you, but I'm different. So, one day, every year, God ordained this day, called the Day of Atonement. And what is atonement? It's a posh religious word. Well, what it means is God making us at one with him. I'm going to trip on these bags, sorry. Don't want to do that. God made his people at one with him. And that was his solution. But it had to be done in a very specific way. Aaron, he was to be the only one to come into God's presence. And he had to wear special clothes. He had to wash first. And then he had to wear special clothes. But they were not fancy pants clothes. They were not like um, the clothes of a king. or anything. They were basic linen clothes reserved for this purpose and this purpose only. He put them on, 
and then he and he only would go into God's presence. Now they didn't have the temple yet, they hadn't built that yet, but they had what was called a tent of meeting. And God, by his grace, would come and meet with people there. He would come and be, say, this is the place you can come to. And Aaron would come and have to make sacrifices. Sacrifice for himself, his family, animal sacrifices. And he'd also have to make a sacrifice for the place. During COVID, we had to do that. Um, I know COVID is still with us, but we were very, needed to be very careful. You know, wiping down the surfaces, decontaminate everything. Has someone been in the building? Risk assessments. Uh, still do it, of course, in lots of places. Still do it in the hospital. You wear PPE, and if you're going in to see a patient who has uh, an infection, you've got to, you've got to get, put a bit more PPE on. We're used to that in this pandemic environment. But they had a different kind of decontamination of the most holy place and of the, the tent of meeting. It wasn't with antibacterial spray. It was with blood. <laughs> Aaron would have to sacrifice an animal and then sprinkle blood on like the altar and places like that. You might say, that doesn't sound very clean to me. <laughs> It's an ancient world and it's ancient practice, but it's what God gave them as a solution to make them at one with him. So Aaron goes in step by step doing all of this thing. And then there were two goats, one of which would be given to the Lord as a sacrifice. And then there was another goat. But this would not be sacrificed. It wouldn't be killed. It wouldn't be slaughtered in God's presence. This goat would become what was, called, what was become known as a scapegoat. Actually, the word scapegoat came along uh, when William Tyndall wanted to translate the Bible into English, wherever it was, 500 years ago, but I can't remember exactly. But he was thinking, there was this specific word, and it doesn't happen in the passage that Jennifer read, but it was just before it in the same chapter, and this word is scapegoat. That was the word William Tyndall came up. It's become one of our kind of phrases, if you like. And... Uh, what is a scapegoat? Well, I want you to watch a two-minute video clip of someone who became a scapegoat. His name is Simba. Simba. What have you done? The wildebeest and he tried to save The king of all the pride, sort of the king of the land. Uh, but he has a, a jealous brother called Scar. And Scar really wants to become king. Scar then concocts this plan. And Scar arranges it. There's this herd of wildebeest going to come along through the valley. And then Simba, Mufasa's son, is placed. Uh, it ends up in the valley. Scar runs to Mufasa and says, Simba's in the valley. You must save him. Mufasa runs to save him. But Mufasa dies in the process. Scar could have saved him, but chooses not to. And then let's just see what happens. Simba. And he tried to save me. It was an accident. I didn't mean for it to happen. Of course, of course you didn't. No one ever means for these things to happen. But the king is dead. And if it weren't for you, he'd still be alive. <gasps> what will your mother think? 
What am I gonna do? Run away, Simba. Run. Run away and never return. Kill him. into the wilderness as good as dead. He became a scapegoat. It wasn't his fault, but he was made to feel like it was. Someone had to be blamed for what went wrong. It was actually Scar's fault, but they blamed Simba. We look for scapegoats, don't we? Something goes wrong. Who, who can we blame? Who let the dogs out? <laughs> wasn't me. <laughs> Looking for someone to blame. So I, I, I met up with some old school friends on Thursday night and uh, we grew up in Newcastle and one of them was, I hadn't seen him since school, one of them said he, he didn't want to go and live back in Newcastle because uh, he's Jewish. And he thought, I, I don't want to live in Newcastle because I'm like such a tiny minority. So he lives in London. Uh, and I didn't know that. But actually, if you think about it, throughout history, the Jewish people have been a scapegoat. Not just during uh, the Holocaust, but all throughout history, often we've blamed minorities, like the Jewish people, for example. We look for a scapegoat. Who can we blame? And there was this original idea that God came up with. You see, all the sacrifices that Aaron made in the temple, no one, uh, or, or in the tent of meeting, no one saw them. It will happen behind closed doors in this dark and mysterious place. But once a year, this goat, in the front, full view of everybody, was sent out and then would be led away. He confessed with both hands. He laid his hands, confessed the sins of all the people, not just his own people, not just the sins of the place, but the sins of all the people of Israel onto the head of this goat. And then this goat would walk away. Happened once a year. And then they knew that they were at one with God. God had provided that way. Do you know that God has provided that for you? And it's not just a once a year thing, but it's a once for all thing.
We can't carry it all. You can't carry it all anymore. God has provided a way for all your bad stuff to be taken away and Jesus became our scapegoat. He is our scapegoat. Book of Hebrews, just read this passage. It doesn't talk about Jesus as our scapegoat, but it does talk about him in this context. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered by the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? You know, as I'm talking about this ancient rite, sacrificing animals and and sending away, you might think this is all really weird and, you know, we love animals and we think it's disgusting. How much more disgusting is it to see an innocent man killed on a cross? To see his blood shed for us? To see him broken for you and for I? And that's what God has done. He has taken our shame. Now, in Leviticus and in our language too, there are so many different words for sin. Uncleanness, uh, wrongdoing, rebellion, wickedness, uh, our misdemeanors, our errors, our mishaps. There are those things that we do knowing full well we've done it wrong. There are those things where we just can't help ourselves. There are those things where we didn't even realise we did it wrong. Tanya didn't tell you about the time she stole from the local shop. That was bad. That was way worse than her other examples. You know those times where you're driving along and you're over the speed limit. You don't realise you are, but you are. And, oh, better slow down. Sorry, officer, I didn't realise I was driving twice the speed limit. But you still did it. Do you know what? It's all sin. <laughs> Whether we realise it or not. And it's all a problem for God because he is holy and we're not in our humanness. And yet God has given us a scapegoat. And not just this once a year thing, but for all time, to take our sins away. God's desire is to be with his people. His desire is to meet with us today. His desire is to encounter you right now. In this place. We're told here he this tent of meeting was in the midst of the uncleanness of the people. God still wanted it to be there. We think that you know, God was all otherworldly and stuff in the Old Testament. Oh, he comes down in Jesus in the New Testament. No, all the way along, he wants to be with his people. We think that God said in the Old Testament, oh, you've got to earn your way to me through you know, doing all these laws and stuff. And in the New Testament, God's more nice and gracious. No, all of this was God's grace. They knew they couldn't earn God's favour. And so God provided this system for them. God provided a goat for them that would just walk away and take their sins away. So don't start picking all the stuff back. Don't start pulling it back to you. Let God take it away. He's taken it away at the cross. God wants to meet with his people. He wants to say, I want my people to be at one with me. 
Now, how do you feel? Do you feel at one with God? Or do you feel, mm, surely he doesn't want me? How do you feel? You think, oh, really? He wants to meet us here in this church? Yes, he does. This is the presence of the Lord. He's here right now. He's with us right now. And it's all by his grace. I've talked to Rob about this, and he knows I'm, I was going to raise this, and Deborah, anyway, but Rob was up last week, up the front last week, came up the front towards the end of the service, and you might have seen Rob up the front, and he sometimes does this, and you might think, he's a bit weird, and he is a bit weird, isn't he, Deborah? But, <laughs> but why is he doing that? We're dealing with a powerful God. Our God is a consuming fire. Now for Rob, there's a physical manifestation that he just has a physical reaction because he's sensing the presence of God. Other people do different things. I've relayed the story times I, I start sweating. It's really embarrassing. But I'm aware of the presence of God. Come on a Wednesday night to our prayer meeting, you might see Rob shaking. Now, why am I mentioning this? I want to explain it. Because we're dealing with a powerful God with whom you don't mess. And yet, he wants to be at one with you. He's here right now. And our messy lives, he says, I want to cover them over with my love. It's this idea of covering. For Jewish people, it's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The idea of, I will cover over your sins. I want to make you at one with me. You might think, but we're such a ragtag bunch. We're really nothing special. That's the point. I've made such a mess. I haven't even thought much about God these last few days. That's the point. He's so gracious and so lovely. I don't even understand this. I've never read Leviticus. It scares me. It bores me. God still loves you. <laughs> I know it's an unusual passage, and I know it seems weird to us. But our God is a lion. He is a consuming fire. He's a God of power. You know, you touch an electric fence, what happens? You get a shock. Put your finger in the socket. I did when I was a kid once. <laughs> you get an electric shock. You deal with the power of the Most High. There will be some kind of effect on you. God is here. So he wants to meet with his people, and he wants to meet with his people today. This atonement is not just now a once-in-a-year thing. It is an everyday thing. And it is a now thing. So I want you and me to walk out of here knowing that we are right with God. That Jesus has done it all for us. That we are at one with him. So, the Lord is here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here. And that by your grace you love us all.
Thank you that you want to meet with your people this morning. I just want to invite each one of us to just be open to what God wants to do right now. For me, I help, find it helpful to hold my hands out in front. You can do that if you want. You don't have to. We're going to, we're going to spend a bit of time in worship. We're going to praise the Lord. Yeah, you can come. I'm going to sing a song that asks questions. Are you hurting and broken within? You know, this is a safe space to admit that to God. You know what? I am hurting God. There is a brokenness in me. God wants to make you at one with him. Are you overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Oh, you beat yourself up. I messed up again, Lord. Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you know what? That's a good place to be. Because you realize you can't sort yourself out. Just come to the Lord now. He's calling. You can come to the altar. It was only Aaron who could come before. But we can all come. All come and encounter the living God today. He wants to meet with you. More than you're interested in meeting with him. Isn't that incredible? The almighty living God is interested in you. He knows what's on your heart. He knows what's bothering you. Give yourself to him. Don't beat yourself up anymore. Come to him. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. So we're going to have a time of worship. I invite you to stand, sit, whatever you want to do. That's fine. Just, just know that the Lord is here. The Holy Spirit is here. And receive what he has in store for you.